Welcome. This is DeForest Soares Jr. My friends call me Buster. My enemies do too. This is the D-Free Podcast. We call it In the Black because we want everybody, especially, especially black people, to be in the black. That means you own more than you owe. You make more than you spend. Your assets are greater than your liabilities. Be in the black. This podcast is sponsored by Prudential, and it is owned by the D-Free Movement. My co-host is Tamika Stembridge, attorney, hip-hop retiree, and all things genius. Welcome to me. Thank you, guys, and welcome to D-Free in the Black. This episode of the D-Free in the Black podcast is brought to you by our friends at Prudential. When I was a teenager during the 1960s, there was a term that was commonly used among a variety of organizations, and that term was unity without uniformity. The idea was that we could be unified even though we disagreed on various strategies and philosophies. Now, fast forward to today, and what I believe we can all agree on, despite our differences, is that black people are better off with less debt than more debt. I I don't think there's any religious conflict. I don't think there's any political conflict. I don't think there's any philosophical conflict with that assumption. And if we agree that our people would be better off with less debt, meaning less debt gives us the ability to invest money. No debt gives us the ability to buy insurance, to leave a legacy. Less debt takes stress off of our minds, bodies, and souls to ensure that we can have lower blood pressure and less disease. Less debt gives us the ability to invest in real estate. In other words, If we're going to reach financial freedom, if we're going to achieve the kind of outcomes that we love to talk about and pray about and clap about, if we're going to buy our own neighborhoods, if we're going to leave some resources that when we die can be used by our families, if we're going to support African-American institutions, if we're going to become philanthropists, it means that we have to earn more than we spend save more than we throw away. Our assets will have to be greater than our liabilities. And my own personal experience is the way you get there is you stop using credit cards. You stop paying high interest. You stop paying last month's bills with next week's check. You stop living paycheck to paycheck. I've also been the beneficiary of having my income increase over the years. But if income increases before you control what you have, then higher income simply means higher expenses, higher debt, and your financial status does not change. As a result of this perspective, I have invited every national black organization to join the Billion Dollar Challenge. The Delta Sigma Theta sorority has accepted this challenge, and it's simply this. By the end of 2020, We are attempting at the D-Free Financial Freedom Movement to help 100,000 African Americans pay off $10,000 in consumer debt. If 100,000 African Americans can do like the Delta Sigma Theta chapter in Las Vegas, Nevada, that has paid off in one year $400,000 in debt, we can shift the money that we were paying to Visa and MasterCard and Macy's and GMAC 
into insurance products, real estate, savings for emergencies. That's the billion-dollar challenge. I have been an activist all of my life, and I have concluded that there is no greater cause than that cause that invites our people to take control of what we have because if you don't use what you have, then you don't deserve what's coming. The Billion Dollar Challenge is at the website BillionDollarPayDown.com. It's simple, it's easy to use, and it's absolutely free and confidential. And so my challenge to you is to accept the Billion Dollar Challenge. Pay down your debt, increase your savings, and launch your journey into financial freedom. This episode of the D-Free in the Black podcast is brought to you by our friends at Prudential. Hello, everybody. This is Defar Soares calling from the D-Free Financial Freedom Movement. Actually, I'm not calling. I'm talking. Um, and my co-host today on this In the Black D-Free podcast is the executive director of the D-Free Global Foundation, Tamika Stembridge. Hello, Hello. Tamika. How are you? I am well. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm staying inside mostly. I go out on Sundays to do our church service um, by stream, but otherwise I'm pretty much in the house and trying to get caught up with uh, life. Yeah, I don't necessarily know that there is any catching up. I feel like I have been nonstop in front of this computer since this whole thing started. I don't know which day number it is. Most of the time, I don't know what day it is, but um, it's good. We're blessed to be working and I'm excited to be able to use technology to kind of keep the ball moving. Well, unfortunately, this is not completely foreign to us. We do a lot of work virtually. We both travel a lot and we're online and we um, work hard to maintain our websites and a digital presence. So it's it's been from that perspective, not a heavy lift or big pivot, but in the process, I think we've expanded our strategy to help people understand what it means to be in the black. We've identified people that are good examples of being in the black and who teach content that aligns with the deep free content. And one such person is our guest today on this podcast. And I'll tell you, I can't remember where we met. All I know is that I've been a fan of hers from a distance. And when we were planning our March webinar series, I invited her on to just kind of hang out on the first one. And she was so good, I begged her to be my co-host for the whole month. She did that. And now you've had her back on in April. And I just love her to death. Uh, welcome to all of our listeners to the Deep Free in the Black podcast, Sister Jacquette. Jacquette Simmons. Yes. Good job. <laughs> I got it. I got yes, it. you did. Yes, I you did. <laughs> oh my God. That's it's right. so wonderful to be back at, and to be in everyone's midst. And uh, you all are family now. So thank you. Well, we feel like family. You know what really attracted me to make it to uh, Miss Timmons <laughs> is that she calls herself a financial behaviorist. And as we've traveled around the country, we've tried to help people understand that um, D3 focuses on behavior before we focus on numbers. 
So how did you come to that conclusion, Ms. Timmons? Um, well, the first experience uh, that kind of, you know, tapped me on my shoulder to let me know that success with money was a little bit more than about the numbers was the crash of 1987. I was just a year out of undergrad, still green behind the ears. I was at Bankers Trust and I literally saw people that if they could have, they would have jumped out of the window because of how much money they lost for themselves and for their clients. And then on the other end of the spectrum were people that were really calm. And I was just curious around how could one event foster such drastically different responses and what was it that one end of the camp knew that the other didn't that kind of led to it. So that was the first thing that got me interested in behavioral finance and behavioral economics. What added on to that was my time spent in the private bank managing money for high net worth individuals and really coming to understand that Yes, they may have a couple of more zeros and commas behind those zeros, but they have the same questions, challenges, frustrations, and concerns that you know my family had. And, and we didn't come from a private wealth background. My mother worked for uh, Social Security for 38 years. So you know we weren't poor, but we also weren't private banking. And yet I can see some similarities between, the again, the questions, the challenges, and the frustrations. And I grew to understand that there was this myth that was perpetuated in some circles that said, well, if you have more money, then A, you don't have to worry about money, and B, you don't have you know, the same kinds of questions that other people do. And I was just like, that's untrue. And then the other thing that I became frustrated by is that so many financial institutions, as a part of their CRA, Community Reinvestment Act requirements, would only focus on financial literacy. And I don't particularly care for that term, but I'll tell you why. Um, but they would only focus their financial literacy initiatives around you know, getting people to open up accounts and all of that kind of stuff, which yes, is important, but they only focused on people that quote unquote were you know, low wage earners. And there was this assumption that if you don't earn a lot, then that means you don't know how to manage your money. And I would say, no, if you don't earn a lot, you probably are really disciplined with managing your money because if you get something wrong, there's a huge consequence to that. Um, and so I just really wanted to, in my work, kind of do two things. One, really create the space for everyone to see that fundamentally, we all have the same concerns when it comes to money. And then B, I wanted to disrupt this narrative that said people that were on the you know lower end of the economic spectrum didn't know what they were doing with their money when I would argue they know precisely what they're doing with their money and probably do a better job than some people that are high earners. Yeah, that's truth. That's gospel there. I promise you, my mother knew where every single penny went because every single penny had a job in her bank account. So I, I, I can agree with you there. I can agree with you there. Um, what's interesting to me, though, is that you've seen um, both ends of the financial spectrum throughout your career and throughout your personal, um, you know, your personal life. What are some of the the commonalities that you see, even though um, you know you've seen the dis the difference um, in earning or the difference in accumulation of wealth? What are some of the commonalities that you see amongst people, regardless of where they are on the financial spectrum? 
Yeah, no, I appreciate that because I do think that, you know, um, regardless of where you are on the income or wealth spectrums, what folks that are quote unquote successful with money and everybody defines success in their own way. But I think the people that are successful with money, what they have in common is they have a plan. So they have an idea of where it is that they want to go. And you mentioned how your mother, you know, had a job for every dollar. They give their money a job. They give their money direction. So that's one thing that they have in common. I think the other thing that goes in tandem with that is they have some rules that they have that they abide by. You know, they have rules around how much they will save or if they can't do, you know, an ideal 10 to 20 percent of their gross or their net, that they approach it from the standpoint of no matter what's coming in, I'm going to save something of that. Um, So they have a plan, they have rules and they understand that it is about the habit, like what is, what is it that you do on a consistent basis? And I think the other key part about the, the habit part is the idea of embracing that small is the new significant. And what I mean by that is they don't dismiss mm. incremental progress. So, you know, someone might say, I don't have enough money to spend. And yet someone who's successful with money will understand, well, even if you only have $2 and you save that $2 and you add that on to whatever you have, or you add another $2 that over time that adds up. So the thing that I I think that they have in common is they have a plan. They have some rules. They practice, you know, good habits and they don't dismiss taking small action and, and the power of taking those small actions. Yeah, one of the things you told me um, when we first began talking was about the shift that you had to make in your own business because you spent a lot of time traveling and speaking mm-hmm. and the coronavirus uh, environment forced you to cancel a lot of your engagements, which affected your income. Right. Um, tell us about that shift and what what you used to do and and how you were able to shift into some alternative strategies and still stay afloat. Yeah, thank you. So my business, you know, I I describe it as I have three pillars. So one pillar is where I do one-on-one coaching and I do that with singles, couples and entrepreneurs, although lately it's been more entrepreneurs as that, you know, have made up my coaching clients, so that's one pillar. Another is that I'm a for hire speaker. So, you know, I've had multi city tours for law firms traveling around the country to their different offices to do financial workshops for their partners and associates. Um, I've done that for other national nonprofit organizations, other Fortune 100 companies, conferences, large and boutique. And then I also host events, uh, a dinner series where we get together to talk about money, business, and life over food and wine, and then a pricing retreat for entrepreneurs. Well, of course, since everything is now online, I'm in the process of migrating those in-person events that I host online. And then for the speaking engagements, they just went poof because no one is going anywhere (laughs) for any time soon. And they're in the process of recalibrating. So all of the things that were either on the calendar or in the process, those have just kind of evaporated. And one of the things that, you know, I learned some time ago is that when things get really tight, especially on the business front, 
it's easy to want to focus on, you know, what has gone wrong. But what I've learned to do is ask the question, where can I be more resourceful? And so for me, it's been, you know, several months of thinking about, well, how do I replace that income that either was on the table or in the pipeline? And how do I do that with what I already have? So as an example, um, the pricing retreat, as opposed to having it be a retreat, I'm in the process of creating a workshop version of that. And so that means that I can actually, you know, price it at a different, it can be lower because it's not as extensive as a retreat, nor is it as extensive as if I'm working with someone one-on-one and doing a full-on VIP day. So that's an example of being creative and answering the question of where can I be more resourceful? The other thing that I've done is- um, Is that the Hmm? Yo, yeah, the next Is one. Is that the June 4th event? Yep, that's going to be June 4th, Thursday, June 4th at 4. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, having conversations around collaborative opportunities that, quite frankly, were never even on my radar until, you know, everything shut down in, in March. So on one hand, it's been like a shock, but then on the other hand, it's opened doors that I hadn't considered before or that were not open prior to. So I, I, I don't think of it as a bad thing in that regard. Yeah, Tamika, you know, this whole idea of pricing, which is which is the, the, the basis of uh, this event that Jacquet is doing, um, it's big because so many people who get into business, especially business that's not selling products, one of the hardest things they have to figure out is how, how to charge people. I mean, you're an attorney, and if you were in private practice, uh, I don't know. I guess you would look at other attorneys to see what they charge to determine what you should charge. Yeah, for me, that was some of it. But then also um, just really understanding what my value proposition was and looking at how how much I wanted to work per week, how long it took me to do certain agreements. Like there were a few different things that went into it. And then I kind of settled on a number. Um, what was interesting though, is that there would be some instances where I would do a normal, like an hourly rate is what, you know, doing billables is what normally yeah. attorneys would do. But then there were other instances where it just made more sense for me to do a flat fee because it just either the, the item didn't take me as long as it normally would someone else, or it was just something that I was doing constantly. And so it didn't make sense to bill it hourly. And so, um, I'd be interested in, in hearing, um, you know, what type of things that you would have to share with entrepreneurs. So I think this workshop is really important because you're right. You don't know how much to charge and, and that could make or break the viability of your business. Like that's the core of, of how you make money. So great topic. Yeah. I mean, I've so what kinds of things will you teach on the Yeah. So, you know, first of all, I I so agree with Tamika in that, you know, pricing is absolutely the backbone of every business, right? You get it right and you feel good, you get it wrong and you set yourself up to struggle. (laughs) And sometimes you can do that unwittingly. And I think part of the problem is that most people approach pricing by, you know, whipping out a calculator. But to me, pricing is just like money in, in general. Like if it were just about the numbers, it would it would be easy and you could approach it as if it is a mathematical problem to be solved. But pricing, just like money, is very emotional. And there are many things that we need to take into account. 
So for me, what I do is I share a framework with people that absolutely respects the numbers. So we look at the financial, but we also look at you know, pricing strategically, pricing profitably, so that the end result means that you are, you know, pricing in such a way that your business is profitable, pricing in such a way that you are, you know, valuing the value that you bring to the table and also the value that you're promising for people, um, pricing such that you are, um, creating the foundation to be sustainable, not just in the short term, but also in the long term. And fundamentally, and this is the piece that is so critically important to me, pricing in such a way that you set yourself up so that your business's success intentionally has a positive impact on the health of your personal finances. And what I can say in regards to that, in terms of like what kind of tipped my hat to that, is and this is some time ago, but you know, having a year where it was profitable, but I was broke, and I'm like, how how did that happen? <laughs> and what I realized is, you know, you you when you start your business, there are all sorts of things that you do to just keep it afloat. And when your business gets steady, you don't adjust those habits, right? And so you end up where you're you're always reinvesting and pouring everything back into the business and so either you're not paying yourself or you're not paying yourself on a consistent basis or you're not replenishing the savings that you pulled out to invest in the business or you're no longer contributing to any of your long-term investment planning and what i want to do is really again disrupt this idea that in order for your business to be successful you have to give it everything including your future and I think one of the things that can help you to do that is your pricing. Like that can be the lever that sets your, your business up so that you can work and live comfortably versus struggling and perhaps worrying about money. You know, there's no doubt that you're right. There is no doubt that Tamika's right when she says that this is important. I, what I've noticed is that, first of all, people who are entrepreneurs generally pursue what they love. Uh-huh. And so whether you're a speaker or a consultant or whatever you do, you love it so much that many people fall into the trap of almost doing it for free yeah. because you're just so excited if you're a speaker that somebody invited you. <laughs> right. <Exactly. laughs> you know? and, and there are times when you do have to go. You know, there are times when you have to go and do some free speeches, but you can't, that's not sustainable. Right. And I've discovered that people, people will, will, will ignore what you just said and, and they, because they love what they do. And that's the right thing to do because you'll do best what you, what you love most, but you do have to deal with that reality. Now, how I started, <laughs> I'll tell you how I started making money because I discovered that I knew nothing about pricing. Nothing. I didn't know how to price for consulting. I didn't know how to price for speaking. And so when I realized that I was like you, I was busy and broke. I decided to start asking people how much they paid the last person they paid to do what I did. Yes. And so if I would go give a speech, I would say, well, what, what's in your budget? What did you pay the last person? Mm-hmm. And until I got to a point where I realized that my pricing was so low compared to what people were willing to pay, right. that it was it was embarrassing. Uh, right. I had to learn pricing. Pricing is something you have to learn. Yeah. Unless absolutely. you inherit a business from somebody else and the pricing is already built in. So June the 4th, tell us more about June the 4th. And so June the 4th, 
<clears throat> what what time does this start? It'll be 4 p.m. Eastern. It will be on Zoom, like everything is these days. <laughs> sure. um, and I'm going to walk people through, you know, like f- the four reasons that makes pricing hard. And we've already talked about one, which is that, you know, a lot of people come at it as if it is purely a mathematical problem. And that's just not true. Um, so we're going to talk about the four reasons that pricing is hard. We're going to talk about a framework for actually, you know, setting yourself up so that every time you have the question, what should I charge for this? Whether you're creating a new product or service or you're contemplating raising your prices, you walk through this framework and that's how you arrive at your your answer. And that framework is taking a look at your relationship with money, the relationship that you have with yourself, the relationship that you have with your business, and the relationship that you have with your clients, your customers, and your prospects. Because to me, all of that whether we recognize it or not, is embedded in the price that we come up with. And so that's going to be it. And then it's also going to be a conversation around what pricing can't fix. Like even if you were to increase your prices 1000%, there are some things that it can't fix in your business. And we're going to talk about that as well. Listen, I think you're going to bless a number of entrepreneurs, and I hope our D-Free audience is listening. Where can they register for the event, or where can they sign up? I'm going to have to get you that link, because literally, I just came up with this idea last week, (laughs) talking about being in the moment and pivoting. (laughs) But I will make sure you have that. Where can they find you? I mean, Oh, you can go straight to my website. No worries, but where can they find you? Yeah. Yeah, JacquetteTimmons.com. Excellent. Well, you guys heard it. JaquetteTimmons.com is where you can figure out how to price your services and and your goods and just learn more about the financial behaviorist. Jaquette, I can't thank you enough. Your presence on our webinars for the last few weeks has been really, really phenomenal. And you just echo so much of what we teach um, in D-Free that that money is more than just the dollars and cents of it. It really is your life, your mindset, um, and your behaviors. And so I think you hit the nail on the head. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we sign off? Um, I, you know, I, every time I get a chance to reinforce this, I, I do. And so I want to take this opportunity to do that, which, and so thank you for that. And it's this message. Um, yes, coronavirus has interrupted a lot of things, but it probably hasn't interrupted your vision and your goals. It's just interrupted how you get there. So if you have to pivot, pivot, do whatever you need to do to to make that pivot as smooth as possible, but don't allow this or any crisis, because this is not the only crisis that we've lived through and that we will probably live through, you know, again, another one. Um, Don't let the crisis derail you. Just let it be an invitation to, for you to ask yourself the question, where can you be more resourceful so that you can still implement your vision and meet your goals? That's exactly right. I talk about the difference between your what and your how. Right. And when your how is impacted by circumstances or even by failure, that doesn't change your what. Your what is your strategy? Your your what is your goal and your how is your strategy? Yes. And as you said, coronavirus may cause us to change our strategy, but our goals don't change. And there's always another way to reach our goals. So thank you for that, Ms. Timmons. Thank you. And thank you for what you do. Thank you for your 
partnership with D3, and thank you for your commitment to helping entrepreneurs understand their pricing. I plan to attend your June the 4th uh, webinar. It's on Zoom. It's at 4 p.m., and I'm coming to your website, so let me know when I can register. All right, I will do that. Thank you so much. My journey towards the bottom started when I got my first credit card, specifically our D3 Academy shares my strategy and principles that we've learned from other people to help people achieve financial freedom, starting by getting out of debt. Go to mydfree.org and you can sign up and spend time with me, with our D-Free leader, Tamika, and change the way you live so that you can achieve financial freedom.